0: Welcome to the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood, alongside John Paul Basham. Yo! And we have another banger for you today, as they call it in the biz. I don't know if that's they don't call it that. It's fun if they do. (laughs) We're not producing music over here. Music to your ears, maybe.
1: I remember we had a volunteer one time at Liberty that did one of those home-flipping shows. And, uh, he was contracted to do part of the deal. So he was on the show with what's that dude that used to flip my ride or pimp my ride. Was that the show? Exhibit. Exhibit. Yeah. So at the time, I don't know if people still say this in that biz, (laughs) but he would say anytime he likes something about the house, he would say, man, that's banging out the box. (laughs) So this volunteer comes back on Sunday and like every four minutes, he was like, man, that's banging out the box. (laughs) Man, I I don't think you can pull that off. You should stop saying it.
0: That's right. Uh, Where did you hear that phrase lately? Yeah, that's what that's what people are saying right now. Hey, we've got another good one for you today as we talk about seven ways to kill your credibility. But first... And in honor of the show Big Brother being back on TV, I had to throw a butt first in there. (laughs) Thanks to Julie Chen Moonves, uh, host of Big Brother. If you don't watch that show, man, you are missing out. So in honor of that, we use the butt first because we have a really special segment around here on the LifeWay Student Ministry podcast that we call What's Producer Nathan Up To? So if if you're new to the podcast, then you've picked a heck of an episode to start listening. Thanks for that. And thanks for making it this far, to be honest with you. Uh, Producer Nathan travels around with us and you'll see him in the booth and does a lot of of training in uh, conjunction with LifeWay students. And he's got his hands in a bunch of things uh, over here, which is fantastic. And we call him Producer Nathan because he is the producer of this podcast, as well as some other things uh, that we do. But not only does he have his hands in a lot of things work-wise, he has his hands in a lot of things hobby-wise, too. I can respect the game of being a collector of hobbies. And so we have this segment where we go to producer Nathan, and, uh, and he talks about something that he's been up to, a new hobby that he has launched into recently.
2: Yeah, that's right. So since it's summertime, everybody loves good ice cream. So instead of ice cream, my latest hobby has been making homemade gelato. So I've been experimenting with different flavors. I think I have, I'm a huge fan of key lime pie. So I have a key lime pie gelato nailed down complete with uh, graham crackers in it, which makes it, I think, even better. And then I've got a great chocolate one that I've done. Ben has actually had my peach gelato. I have. So, yep, that one turned out, I think, pretty well. So, and then the one I'm looking to like really nail, I love red velvet cake. It's my favorite dessert. Um, And so I want to really get a red velvet cake ice cream or gelato kind of figured out. So, and that's more than just for all the red velvet haters out there. That doesn't mean you just dump a thing of cocoa into the mix and call it red velvet with some coloring. (laughs) You got to balance out the buttermilk and the flavors. It can't be too sweet. And so, you know, there's a little bit of science that goes into this. Maybe I'm calling it, making it more technical than it is, but we're going to see what happens.
1: What I could see you do, Nathan, is the presentation of the key lime pie gelato that's been rolled like the little ball of frozen gelato that's been rolled in the graham crackers. So it's like a ball that's coated in the graham cracker crust, just like you were having a piece of pie, the round piece of pie in a bowl. I think that would would look cool. I can give that a shot. So
0: I can attest to the peach gelato. I'm looking forward to the chocolate and I'm, I'm ready to try that Red Velvet, too, because I am myself a Red Velvet fan. And every time I hear Red Velvet, I think of the song Black Velvet. And so I sing the Red Velvet to the tune anyway. So that's that's what comes into my into my head.
1: I hear people used to call you red velvet in high school. That's, that's my, my
0: nickname in high school. That's right. Um, so I can attest to the peach gelato being great there. It was, there were some good solid peach chunks in there as mm. well as uh, I did prefer the one with the cinnamon. Oh, okay. In, that nice. gave it a little like of a, a peach pie kind of approach. So yeah, uh, when he, when, when producer Nathan talks about making gelato, this is a scientific like he's serious about it process. We're not talking about some cheap imitation ice cream here. So, producer Nathan, why don't you give us just a second on on the process? If someone is listening right now and they're like, "Dang, I want to get into making some gelato."
2: Yeah, so process is the find yourself a good base gelato recipe. So, you're like, "Well, gelato is just ice cream, right?" Well, close, but the difference is so gelato would be two parts milk, one part cream, whereas ice cream, so cream is two parts cream, one part milk. So it lets gelato have a little bit different consistency. That's why gelato is usually a little bit thicker um, and not quite as fluffy as the ice cream. has to do with the air getting into the mixture. But find yourself a good base, and then from there, just experiment with adding different flavors and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I do. I use a version where I actually cook mine. So mine has like some eggs in it for consistency, and I actually cook it on the stove. It turns out, I think, really well. See, this is why we love the
0: segment, What's Producer Nathan Up To? You never know. And uh, we will definitely be coming back to that. John Paul, any last dessert thoughts? Nope. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be rolling now into the hard transition of here's seven ways to kill your credibility. And one of those might be exampled. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, So here we go. Seven ways to kill your credibility. Producer Nathan, I always enjoy hearing what you are up to. Thanks for sharing your hobby life with us. Can't wait to do it again. Here is the first way that you can kill your credibility as a student pastor, and that is to undermine the leadership of your senior pastor. So they need loyalty, support, servant-heartedness from your role. And when they don't have those things, it can really cause damage to their support of you. And not only just that one relationship, but the way that you handle when other people come to you and ask, hey, what do you think about this decision, this direction of the church, this building campaign, this new series that we're doing, whatever the issue is, here's the reality. You as a student pastor are connected to a lot of people in the church because of siblings that teenagers in your ministry have, as well as moms, dads, grandparents. You're connected to a lot of people. And if you've been there for any amount of time at all, they might seek out your opinion. And we have to be really careful to always have a supportive, loyal approach in those responses when it comes to our senior pastor.
1: So what do you think are the most common pitfalls? I think it's it's easy for a student ministry leader to find themselves in a place of temptation to undermine a pastor's authority or direction, but it's often— you know, you often don't go into it saying, I'm going to undermine my senior pastor or yeah. my minister of education. What, what do you think are the most common pitfalls that student ministry leaders find themselves in there?
0: I think one can be just an attitude of, I would do that different if I were in that spot. Uh, differently, I guess, is the correct grammar there. I would do that differently if I was in that spot. And if you entertain that thought internally enough, it's eventually going to come out of you in action or word to the people around you. And so I think that's a place. Now, listen, you probably would do things differently because you're a different person. That doesn't mean that they're wrong and you're right. That just means that it's different. And I think uh, a good follower of leaders will be able to say, man, I probably would do that differently, but I can get down with this direction we're going because the end result is the same, or I'm in a position where I need to respect and follow the leadership that I'm under.
1: And I would say it may be the case that you would do it exactly the same as they're doing it if you had all the information, but you don't. Yep. That's right. So sometimes it's just, it just needs to be an acknowledgement because you'll, I have been in a position where people have said, man, don't you hate that we're doing this this way? Because- often there are people in the church that are trying to elicit some kind of response for, from you, or they're trying to dig deeper into why your church is doing something the way they're doing it. And surely you disagree with that, don't you? And you can't allow yourself to be led into those conversations and and propped up in that way where it's like, yeah, yes, I would do that better if I was the one in charge. So, just understanding and admitting sometimes I don't have all the information and there's a really good chance I would do exactly what they did. If I had all the pieces can keep you out of some hot water.
0: Yeah. And I think too, like treasure the moments where you don't have all the pieces, because that's a lot of stuff you don't
1: have to worry about. That is right. (laughs) That is right. So another way to kill your credibility is not taking security seriously. And I think this is something that there are levels of this. There are some people that are just launching in all willy-nilly, no matter what. It is the way that they live their life. It's just, ah, it'll be fine. Let's just go do it. And there are some times that you just you don't know what you don't know. You're trying to do as much as you can right, but you haven't done the homework to understand what you need to understand security-wise in your ministry. Both ends of that spectrum are dangerous. And I think you need to realize as a student ministry leader, it's part of your job to keep the people that you are shepherding safe. And so if you're in the spot where you just don't care. You know things are going to turn out right no matter what. You're, you have that kind of a posture. Well, you need to bring someone alongside you on your team that is security-minded and let them help you take care of those details. Hey, you tell me the things that we need to be looking out for and help me to put some things in place so we look out for them because I'm not good at it. Um, and probably either way, you need to be asking some questions of other churches that do this really well. What do you guys do? How do you keep your kids safe? What what do you allow your students and leaders to do? What do you not allow them to do? What kind of permission forms do you have? What kind of you know, what are all the guidelines that you have in place? Sometimes that may mean going to a church that is much bigger than your church is because you know that they've had to do some of those things just by just out of necessity. Because there's a larger audience there, but either way, it's something that we have to take seriously.
0: Man, you said there uh, to have somebody from your church, like that is proficient in this area, to come alongside, and like if you're going on a trip, have a meeting with this person and like let them shoot holes in the plan, let them construct a plan with you. Chances are, there's somebody in your church that like really is excited about this. And my caution to you on the other end of the spectrum from, man, let's just go do it. Whatever happens, happens. The other end of that spectrum is that your student ministry retreat is also not a Navy SEAL operation. And so going all the way to that end of the spectrum, true too, not a great environment for you to operate in over the course of the weekend or whatever it is that you're doing. So. Being able to take in that expertise and that knowledge and fit it into a great environment for teenagers is is really the the goal there. (laughs) So the number three way in our seven ways to kill your credibility is constantly changing your plans, not planning ahead. We put those two things together because often when we don't plan ahead is when we have these moments of constantly changing our plans. Now, I am all for flexibility, and I think if there's any ministry in the church that you can achieve a certain amount of flexibility, it is ministry with teenagers. But we have to remember, too, that while the teenagers might respond well to flexibility, the communication that takes place has to be with their parents and other staff members. And we have to take into consideration the whole church. There are a lot of different factors here that play into this. And so when we are constantly changing our plans, it can give people ministry and communication whiplash. And that leaves them ultimately not wanting to follow you, and even worse, what we talk about here with losing your credibility or killing your credibility is that it creates an environment where what you say may not be trusted to be what's actually going to happen. Hey, we're going to do this. Wait, never mind. We're going to do this over here. Oh, wait, never mind. We're going to do this over here. Or you'll only do half of what you've said you're going to do over there because you're already on to something new. So that's number three. And the correction for that is to plan ahead. If you're not a planner, then it's engaging other people around you that have those gifts and abilities so that they can help you construct a plan that maintains some flexibility, but also gives you enough structure to be able to stay on a course for a period of time.
1: Yeah. And there are multiple uh, losses of credibility there and in trust and ability to plan and lead, right? And so if you lose, I mean, it's like you said, you have to understand that you're doing ministry to teenagers, but the people that get the teenagers there are their parents or guardians. And if you lose trust with the guardians, the students aren't going to show up a lot of them. Yeah. And then the planning thing, if again, if a parent can't see that you're planning and that you're strategic and that what you say is what you're going to do, then they're going to take that into everything else. Man, if I can't ever trust them that they're going to do what they say here, then how can I trust them that they're going to do what they say in other environments? Going back to security. If I, if I never know what's going to happen with you, how do I, have any level of confidence that you're going to keep my kids safe when it comes down to there needing to be some some guidelines in place. So that's an important one. The, the next one is not being a team player with other staff. And this this is a big deal. This is something that I've fallen into before, getting to the place where maybe you're in a church where there's a lot of demand. There's a high demand. There's a high performance value tied to your role. And you get into the place where you say, man, I'm just going to do what I need to do to make sure my ministry is yielding the fruit that it needs to yield. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to do me. And, And they can do whatever they want with that. When you begin to neglect the rest of your staff and silo off your ministry, then the rest of the staff team is going to see you as completely selfish, self-absorbed, unwilling to be united in vision, unwilling to run with everyone else, unsupportive, probably rogue, which is a pretty stereotypical view of the student pastor, if we're honest. And this is a one of the fastest ways for you to lose credibility.
0: Yeah, being the rogue one is not a badge of honor, right? Like it—it's great to be on the cutting edge of things and to help a church staff. Like I think this is a positive role that student pastors can play on a church staff: is helping the rest of the staff move forward and be more on the cutting edge of, of culture and uh, ministry and those kinds of things. Like from a positive place, get more creative. I think those are a lot of things that student pastors can speak into, but you're totally right. Being known as the rogue person, that's not a place you want to be because nobody will follow. Nobody wants to be around that type of personality. There's a way to do it that's positive and forward moving. Yep. So the number five uh, is asking for forgiveness instead of permission. Ouch. Um, this one. <laughs> okay. So, this one, like, I want to just in a moment of honesty, everybody, like, nobody can see you. This is one of those invitation moments. Like, you're on a podcast. Nobody's eyes are open. Nobody's looking around. It's just you and the Lord. If you've ever used the phrase to make a decision in your ministry, man, I think this is one I just need to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. I just want you to raise your hand in the quietness of this moment. (laughs) (laughs) I see those hands, like not literally, obviously, but man, this is, this is almost a mantra for some people and it will kill your credibility, especially with those who are supervising you. And, um, if you hadn't noticed the people who supervise you are also the ones who are in charge of your paycheck. So, uh, this one is, it should not be the mantra. Um, and you can tackle this one and have a solution for it. I think we can refer to planning ahead again. And if it's something that you think you'll need to ask for forgiveness for, and you didn't have time to ask, it's probably not a good decision to make. (laughs)
1: Well, and most of the time, when you make that statement, there is a real risk potential there. Like, There's a pretty serious downside. That's why you're saying, I'm going to ask for forgiveness in case this goes sideways. And that's just not a smart approach to your ministry. There's enough places that ministry can get sideways without you creating opportunity. <laughs> just don't. So number six not taking your budget and responsibilities seriously. There's a little bit of a theme here. There are some, I mean, Ben Ben and I have been in a staff meeting before where I think we were actually doing a really good job. Of course, we had a gigantic budget, and so it was actually somewhat hard to spend all of the budget when we first got to Liberty. (laughs) But... I remember us being in a staff meeting at one point and our pastor looking at us and say, okay, and while we're, you know, building the budgets this year, you know, let's make sure that we don't get ourselves into a place like student ministries do where we're blowing it out of the water. And Ben and I both look at each other like, what, why, what, we're doing a great job. Yeah. The reason why is because 95% of student pastors out there at some point have seriously abused their budgets. And a lot of times this is a result of youth. Uh, it's a result of inexperience. It's a result of lack of planning. It's a result of poor communication. Um, it's a result of not being a team player and having to spend more money than you really needed to spend because you're just doing it by yourself. Really a lot of this comes down to the rest of the list, not being done well. Yeah,
0: man. This one, that statement was said in that meeting, like, I can be honest with you, John, Paul, and I, we made it a priority to work that budget the right way. Like, it was a big deal to us, Uh, but that was said because of the reputation that student ministry has earned over the years for being lackluster in budget performance. And I think this is a stewardship thing. We've said on the podcast many times before, I've said it in in talks that I've given in student pastor trainings and events, like this reveals a lot about our heart and being willing to use what uh, God has provided for us to use. Uh, th- you've been given X amount of dollars and that's what you should stick to. And so I think student ministry has uh, unfortunately earned this reputation in the past. And here's what else I would say. It's perpetuated by the general attitude that we sometimes have towards budget. Like the whole idea to me of I lost my receipts, but not my salvation is 100% perpetuating the idea that, hey, I'm a student pastor and I'm out here and I lost all my receipts. And man, I'm really sorry about that. But hey, still saved. Like, listen, let's have some professionalism out here and let's take that kind of stuff seriously. All right, I will now step
1: down from the budget soapbox and go on to number seven. Hey, just Our a, just a tip. tip on the budget thing. I lose receipts left and right still. <laughs> and, and I prioritize budgeting things well and not overspending a budget and staying inside the guidelines. Yeah, But because I know that I lose receipts, I just take a picture as soon as it comes out of the dang printer wherever i made a purchase. Or from Amazon or what. Just take a picture. And I know sometimes it's in my email too. It doesn't matter. I take a picture of the computer screen and then I go ahead and email it wherever it needs to go. Text it, email it, just send it off. Take a picture, send it off. And just let it be done with. Yeah. And sometimes it's just it's just a simple thing. Make a simple change. And a lot of this will, will go away for you.
0: Yep. I agree. Take the proactive. Be proactive in it. All right, number seven, the last and final uh, of our list for today. Uh, certainly not exhaustive, but the seventh way to kill your credibility is poor communication. Um, you, as a student pastor are a communicator. It's one of the primary things that you do. And only part of that is during a sermon. The rest of your communication is of utmost importance as well to parents, guardians, other staff, school faculty, people in the community. Like you are a communicator and only part of that communication happens from the stage.
1: You made me think of something else, though, in communication. Like, if you don't deliver good messages week in and week out, you're going to lose credibility there, too. For sure. And so there's, yes, I think we all know what we're talking about. I mean, if if none of the parents know whatever's going on, if your staff doesn't know what you're doing and why you're doing it, if there's all of these gaps in communication, then you're going to lose credibility there. But also, if you're putting off sermon prep until... Wednesday morning and you're writing a message in the midst of all the busyness and you show up on Wednesday night and don't deliver, you're going to lose credibility. It it shows that you're not prioritizing one of the main components of your role. And there's there's a lot of that that happens. And sometimes it just is what it is. Sometimes you just get in that spot and you got to rush to put something together. The problem is when that's a habit. Right.
0: Seven ways to kill your credibility one more time, undermine your senior pastor and leadership, not taking security seriously, constantly changing your plans or not scheduling ahead, Uh, not being a team player with other staff, asking for forgiveness instead of permission, not taking your budget and responsibility seriously, and the last one, poor communication. So before we end the podcast for today, I want to let you know about Youth Ministry Booster. Uh, Youthministrybooster.com is the website. It is an online platform that is for student pastors to gather together for training, for encouragement, for soul care, learning from each other. Um, It's something that we would love for you to be a part of. So here's the thing. Uh, sometimes ministry can feel like you're alone. Sometimes you wonder, hey, where can I go to learn, to talk with other student pastors, to have collective and collaborative learning? And that's something that we are trying to provide for you through Youth Ministry Booster. Every single person that's a member gets put in what we call mastermind groups. And those groups are for you to do that thing that I that I just talked about with collaborative learning, but they're also good for your community and your relationships and for your soul. So we want to care for you in both of those ways, help you be more effective as a student pastor and help you grow as a person. So youthministrybooster.com. This is the last week to register for season two. So head over there right now and sign up. This has been another episode of the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time.